Well, good morning. Let me add my welcome to you. Thanks for doing that reading. That was, that was fantastic. My name's Aaron, and I'm, I'm going to share with you today, and that's super exciting. But first, let me, let me just say, I am filled with smiles as I think back to last Sunday when we got to, to gather together and seeing all your faces on that live Zoom service was, just, was something really special for me. And as I've bumped into people in your comings and goings in the week in the supermarket, when, you, when you're taking the dogs for a walk, those kind of things, those glimpses of conversations are really precious to me. Um, and I'm sure, I'm sure precious to you too. And so being uh, here today to be able to share and know that you're, you're sitting there ready to learn and go on this journey with me is really exciting. And I'm excited that we get to do that, do that together. Part of, part of what I do here is I, I work with the youth and, and this is where I'm going to put them on the spot, okay? So if you've got a youth in your, your household, all the attention gets to go on them for just one second. You're going to ask them, what are the three C's that we use when unpacking a Bible verse? There's three C's that I often like to use. I'm going to turn to them and, and give them that, that look of, have you been paying attention? Well, if you don't have a youth in, in your household that, that's been, been engaging with, with youth group, I'll, I'll, I'll fill you in on our three Cs. We talk about context, content, and application. Now, application is not really a word, but application would ruin the alliteration. So we've made up the word application to fit, fit our purposes. So roll with me. So what does that mean? What does that look like? Application is pretty much, okay, this is, this is awesome. God's word is living, it's breathing, it's, it's speaking to us. So God, how do you want me to respond to it? Content is, well, if, if I've got something to respond to, there's actually got to be some substance to what, I'm, what I've got the merit for my response from. So what's, what's the Bible saying? Yeah, what's going on? Then content is looking at the surrounding passages and verses and, and, and history at the time and culture at the time and saying, how does that illuminate our understanding of what the text is saying? We start to understand the original context more. That, that gives us a really good platform to be able to get to our application, my favourite my favorite word. So that's what we're going to do today. Okay, so we're going to step through contextually, contentually, and then applicationally yeah, uh, to look at this, this passage of 1 Thessalonians 2 that we, we just, just heard, the first, the first six verses of it. I've got a, a whiteboard here just to, to help paint the picture. Yeah, when we're talking context, we're painting a picture. So literally, I'm going to paint a picture or paint some, some words for us. So the first thing when it comes to content, or context rather, when we're talking about context, we've got kind of two different people groups kind of referenced in, in our passage here. So Paul spends, Paul, Silas and Timothy writing this letter to the Thessalonians, you'll notice that what they're doing is essentially it's, a, it's an affirmation of some things and a defence against other things. And so on one hand they're saying we're not like this, this is not what we've done, we haven't behaved this way, we haven't thought these things. And on the other hand they're saying, but we have been like this and we have done these things. And so when I see something like that, someone's giving a defence against, no, 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 we weren't like that, it, it becomes apparent to me that, that someone else would have been like that because otherwise why would they be writing these things? As we read, read history around the time and understand context of, of, of passages like Acts 17 that really inform our understanding of, of these, these particular verses, we realise that at this particular time there was, there was a big bunch of, of Jewish travelling missionaries essentially yeah, that had gone from, from Jerusalem up to up to Thessalonia and, and, and were challenging and stirring up trouble for Paul, Silas and Timothy. And so the assumption, therefore, is that a lot of these things that Paul's saying 
we are not like, and the Jewish travelling missionaries of the time were like. So what today we're going we're gonna to look at, we're going to look at contrasting these two particular um, responses of, or ways of, of engaging. You've know I mean? you got the, the Jewish travelling missionaries on one side, and you've got Paul, Silas and Timothy, yeah, Jesus' travelling missionaries on the other side, both doing a very similar thing, both going around to different, different areas of, of the ancient Near East and, 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 and proclaiming different messages, yeah, that, that their lifestyle looked quite similar, really, on face value, and yet the substance of what they did and, and the way they went about doing it was, was totally different. And we've got two different, two different lifestyles. We've got the lifestyle that's SML. Okay, this is the self-motivated life, and this life smells. It's the smell. It's the, if you say really kind of blurred, it's it's the smell. So the SML is the self-motivated life, and then on the other side, we got the GML, the gospel gospel-motivated life. And these are the two two types of life. And so, so Paul and, and Silas and Timothy on one hand are saying. We're, we're, we're not like this. Yeah, we're, we're not operating in a self, self-motivated life. So Paul, Silas, and Timothy. But rather, we're, do, we're doing these things. We're over this side. We're on the gospel-motivated motivated life side. So we've got Paul, Silas, and Timothy over here. This is all informing our, our context. And by deduction there, too, the, the, the smells, yeah, the, the Jewish travelling missionaries or, or other teachers, philosophical teachers of the times. So we'll call them the JTMs, the Jewish travelling missionaries. All right, you're with me so far for our, our content that we're painting? We've got Paul, Silas and Timothy defending to the Thessalonian church. They're saying, we're, we're not like this. We're not living a self-motivated life. And we'll unpack what this is, what this, is, is what this looks like as we actually get into content and into the text. But, but by deduction, therefore... The chances are that the Jewish travelling missionaries or, or other philosophical teachers of the time or other authorities at the time were in- inhabiting this kind of a lifestyle. And on the other side of the spectrum, you've got the gospel-motivated life. And Paul, Silas and Timothy, they're saying, this is what we're all about. This is what we're, what we're doing. This is how we lived. And you know that we lived that, that way amongst you. So that's, that's context. What was our, our next seat? Can you remember our, our next seat? The next C was content. When we think content, I want you to think of the heart. Because at the heart of the passage today is the heart. The heart of today's passage is, is the heart. So anytime you're thinking of content, picture a nice, a nice heart to go along with it. I've got three Ps that I'm going to use to explain from, from 1 Thessalonians to what the self-motivated life looks like in this context. The life that Paul, Silas and Timothy are saying, we're not like that, but, but referencing, therefore, that, that the other people were like that. And that's what the self-motivated life looks like. And then in contrast, we're going to look at, at three Ps, yeah, to, to describe the gospel-motivated life, the life that Paul, Silas and Timothy were saying, yes, this is how we're living. And very quickly, when we get to Caplication, we'll realise, okay, this is where we want to be. Yeah, I'm sure we can, we can agree. We don't want to live the self-motivated life. We tend to, to err in that direction, but no, we want to learn this journey of what does it look like to live a gospel-motivated life. So let's start with our, our three Ps on the self, 
self-motivated life size. The first is, is praise. The self-motivated life seeks self-praise. The second is pleasing. The self-motivated life is self-pleasing. And the last is, and you might not be able to see it, so I might do it up here, is profits. The self-motivated life is seeking to profit itself, its gain. All right, so that's, that's what, what, what it's doing. Let's jump into the text to see how this, how this plays out, okay? Let's start with first, verse 4. It talks about this idea of Paul, Silas, and Timothy saying we're, we're not trying to please people. We're not trying to please people. We're not doing that. So the self-motivated life, therefore, is defined by a life that's trying to please people. Now, why might they be trying to please people? It gives us a few other, other clues. It says in verse 5, we never used flattery. Now, what's flattery? Flattery is, is insincere. It's excessive, as Google would, would define it, in heaping praise on someone else in order to generate your own self-interest. You know, we often use flattery to, to almost butter someone up, yeah, to get them on your side, to, oh, man, I've said some nice things about them and therefore they're going to they're gonna respond in a particular way to me that's, that's favourable to me. So part of the self-motivated life is this idea of, of seeking praise, verse 4, and it's, it's pleasing to others, yeah? It's kind of, but, but, but slightly manipulative in its way it goes about it. It's, it's, it flatters others with its, with its words. Paul, Silas, and Timothy saying, this is, this is not like us. Verse 6 says, nor do we seek glory from people. This is where we get to our, our praise, okay? So we've done some of, of, of these two. They, they often go together, pleasing and praise. But nor do we seek glory in verse 6. Now, if you're reading the NIV, it'll say, nor do we seek praise from people. But, but glory, I think, is really important to, to use here as the word. The Greek, Greek being doxa, this, this idea of, of brilliance or of wonder or of illumination or something. Yeah? And quite simply, we glorify something that is glorious. That makes, makes sense. We glorify something that is glorious. So for them to be, you mean, saying that, yeah, we, we seek glory from people. To live a life where you seek glory from people, you, you are deducing that you are glorious. Where for others to glorify you, you must assume that you're glorious. This is, this is the self-motivated life, and we have this perception of ourselves that says that we are glorious, therefore we are worthy of, of glory. Next one we have, and this is, this is somewhat in the vein of, of, of praise, is this idea of authority. Verse 6 talks about that we could have asserted our authority. We didn't, or we could have. I think in that, that culture, and I would say it's no different today because it's probably more of a, a thing of humanity, but there's something that, that people have a natural tendency when living a self-motivated life to lean towards this, this idea of I want the best status, I want the best position, I want the greatest authority. And that means that people will be obedient to me. That means people will be submissive to me. That means I have control over people. I have power, yeah? And so they work towards places where they can assert their authority, as verse 6 says. We could have asserted our authority, but we didn't. The self-motivated life says we seek to assert our authority, and we will. But what if we can't find it? What if we don't have the authority? 
What if we can't succeed in flattery? What if, what if things don't quite work out as, as they planned? What's when a word of jealousy comes in? Now, you might be saying, Aaron, jealousy doesn't appear in 1 Thessalonians 2, and you're right. But, but, but in the same context, Acts 17.5 says this. This is what the response of, of the Jewish travelling missionaries were to, to Paul, Silas and Timothy. Acts 17.5, but other Jews were jealous. So they rounded up some bad characters from the marketplace, formed a mob and started a riot in the city. When you're seeking self-praise, self-adoration, status, authority, glory for yourself, when you think you're glorious, yeah, and you don't get it, you see other people getting it, and that triggers something in you to, to cause a riot to start, that's jealousy. And that's, a, that's an expression of the self-motivated life too. It's an absence of, of something, but it very clearly shows that you are living a life that is desiring to be self-motivated. So that's, that's kind of pleasing and profits, and we've kind of dovetailed in a bit of, bit of both, dipped our fingers in both pies, because kind of they're, they're really mashed together. But then we get to profits, okay? What, what is profits talking about? When we, when we think profits, we're thinking gain, okay? We're thinking benefit, we're thinking results, we're thinking outcomes, particularly in the self-motivated life pertaining to ourself, okay? So what's the gain here? Verse 5, I believe, talks this idea of, nor did we put on a mask to cover up greed, so what's the, the greed that they were talking about, about here? Greed can often, often be associated with financial gain. It can often be associated with possession gain. I'd say greed goes as far as to, to get recognition. You can be greedy for recognition. You can be greedy for status. You can be greedy for, for fame. You can be greedy for a whole bunch of different things. Greed, greed is, is fundamentally a posture of the heart. Okay, content today, it's all about the heart. And that's what, what greed is is fundamentally all about. And it's likely in this, this context here that the idea of greed was, was associated with these Jewish travelling missionaries who often go around preaching and teaching and subsequently desire to get a result out of them, be that financial financial gifts, thank you for your preaching, be it, be it followers and status and, 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 and authority and power that comes with that, whatever it might be. But it's clear that there's, there's greed going on here and greed's a, a sign of a self-motivated profit someone who's trying to gain something for themselves. What's so bad about, about this greed? Verse 3 gives us this full expression, and I think verse 3 kind of caps off what we're going to explore for the self-motivated life. Verse 3 talks about this idea, for the appeal we make does not spring from error or impure motives, nor are we trying to trick you. Trickery, that's the key word here, carries this notion of deception or, or even baiting. If you think of someone going fishing here with a fishing rod, they're trying to, trying to trap you into your trap. They're trying to hook you on, on board. They're trying to get you on your, your side of things. Same as flattery, yeah? same, same as greed. It's, it's that same notion of it's all about me. And this is the self-motivated life. And so often we can, we can see the Jewish traveling missionaries and other people in the Bible engaging this way and go, that's wrong. And yet I think often what we do is we miss how often we can operate in these, in these spaces. We can tend towards these tendencies too. So how do we shift? What's, what's the, the corresponding gospel-motivated life look like? What's, what's the alternative? What's the much, much better way? 
Unlike baiting, if we use that, that analogy of a, of a hook and a, and a fish, where we're trying to get something out there back to us, the gospel-motivated life is taking something that we've received and giving it out to others. We're going to start with prophets, praise and pleasing to describe the gospel-motivated life. They're going to be our, our three Ps. Now, you might be thinking, hang on a minute, aren't they the same Ps as a, as a self-motivated life? Well, exactly. Yeah, it's just how you go about using them. What does it, what does it, what does it look like for you? What, what's the expression of it? So you've got praise, pleasing and profits. Same words, very different expression. What's the difference? The difference is the heart. Because at the heart of this passage is the heart. The difference is the motivation and the objective that you're, you're seeking. Let's start with, with verse 1. We're going to work from the bottom up. We're going to start with prophets, okay? Verse 1 says, You know that our visit to you is not without results, okay? Very clearly, Paul, Silas, and Timothy affirmed from the get-go that there were results, there was profits, there was gain from the work that they had done. What was the nature of this profit? Did they gain? Did someone else gain? Verse 2 talks to all the suffering and the difficulty that, the, that they, they experienced, that the fact that they faced strong opposition. So I think very clearly the results that's talked about in verse 1 is not results for them. There was no, no self-gain from this. So what were, what were the results? Chapter 4 gives us, sorry, chapter 4, verse 4, gives us a clue. We speak as those approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel. This is where everything starts weaving together. This is where praise and prophets start weaving together. We speak as those approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel. Paul, Silas, and Timothy, and what they did and how they went about doing it, recognized that they had this gospel, this gift that they were entrusted to, and they were to give that out to others, to pass on this gift that God had given to them. And so they recognized in, in doing that, in, in holding that out to others, that the focus of the attention was never about them. It was always in the gift. So therefore, what was worthy to be glorified was always in the gift as well. What the attention, what the praise deserved, what, what, what their intent, their heart was to illuminate was the gift that they were giving out. And so for them to be treated poorly, to face severe opposition, to, to have many trials of many kinds was irrelevant because it wasn't about them at all. It was about, it was about the gospel. So this is where the key to the prophet lies. It was founded in, in what, what happened with the gospel when it met the Thessalonican region. And we see in, in verse 1 what happened. Our gospel came to you not simply with words but also with power, with the Holy Spirit and with deep conviction. So the profit or the outcome of a gospel-motivated life is this gospel going out in, in power with the Holy Spirit and with deep conviction. And that leads to transformed lives. And when lives are transformed, people see that and they go, wow. Because they see a life that's not someone fishing to take something for themselves, but they see a life that's learning to give out to others. And that they recognise is glorious. 
that's worthy to be glorified. The gift, not, not the one that's carrying them, not the one that's proved by God as, as the messenger. This is, is what the gospel looks like, a gospel-motivated life. We come to pleasing then is, is probably the last P that we haven't necessarily touched on. Verse 4 says, we're not trying to please people, but God who tests our hearts. Their aim, their, their motive was to please God. Galatians 1.10 says, am I now trying to win the approval of human beings or of God? Am I trying to please people? If I was still trying to please people, I would not be a servant of Christ. For Paul in Galatians, servant of Christ is mutually exclusive. It has to be separate from pleasing people. You cannot please people and, and be a servant of Christ. It's a pretty strong, pretty strong word. So we've got two groups of people. We've got the Jewish travelling missionaries. We've got Paul, Silas and Timothy. We've got three Ps that they're both operating towards. And yet the expression of them looks totally different. Why? Because at the heart of it was the heart. What was going on in their motivations? Was it self or was it gospel-focused motivation? You see, you, you can't separate mission from method, from motive. What you want to do, your mission, will inevitably result from how you choose to do it, your method, which ultimately is born from why you want to do it in the first place. That's your motive. That's the heart of it. Motive motivates method. Method maps mission. Our motive inspire us to take a course. Our methods help us choose the path we are to take on that course and our mission enacts the outcome that we're seeking from the course that we are taking. Our motive maps our mission. What we desire is what we'll inevitably do. So if we desire personal gain, we'll seek a life that is self-profiting, self-praising and self-pleasing. Yet if we seek a gospel-motivated life, we'll seek a life that is centred on gospel gain, gospel profit, that is pleasing to God and is focused around God getting the praise. So what does this, this look like? If we consider some application, what does a gospel-motivated life look like? There's a painting that, that my wife and I did, did a little while back. It says, go to all the world, live focused on one. And I think this captures it beautifully how we ought to respond to this gospel-motivated life. If this is the way we want to live, go to all the world, live life focused on one. What does that look like, Aaron? What does that look like? Well, if we insert that phrase into some of our circumstances that we might face this week, it might look a little bit like this, right? Your kids might be really frustrating you and you're sitting there going, God, man, help me. I, they're doing my head in, right? And, and kids can, can do that. But you say go to all the world. That includes my kids and live life with a focus of one. So suddenly my prayer is not, God, help me please my kids and be nice to my kids. No, no, God, how would it please you in how I engage with my kids right now? You're my one audience. How would it please you in how I engage with my friends right now? And they're, they're struggling or, or they're feeling down or I'm just, just not being able to see them. How would it please you? 
How would it please you to engage with my family? Or I may, if I'm living with them, have a whole lot more time with than normal, or if I'm not, I might be missing a whole lot more than normal with my boss at work, with the frustrations I'm facing with that and the headaches that that might be causing or the stresses you might be experiencing. How would it please you in how I engage with with them? What does it look like for me to to go to them as, as part of the world that you've created and yet to live life focused on you in that space? This is how the the words written to the Thessalonians come alive to us. When we allow the message of motive, the message of the heart to penetrate deep within us, we respond by asking the question, God, how would it please you in how I live today? Then we tend time opening the scriptures and exploring, you know, what does the Bible say about this? What has God written about how to re-engage with, with, with my wife, with my family, with my kids, with my friends, in my sporting clubs, in my, in my school? What does that look like? How would it please you to live today, Father? So the conclusion is simple. The challenge is profound and it's a journey we go on for a lifetime. But go ye into all the world but do so living focused on the sun.